Lord Jesus, you are perfect in all your ways. We thank you for that, Lord. A world is filled with chaos and things seem out of control. But God, you are sovereign, you are perfect, and you have us in the palm of your hands. And nothing can separate us from your love. Nothing can separate us from our walk with you, Lord, because you hold our hearts, and we thank you for that, Lord. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for every person that's walked in this door. I pray, Lord, that they will be blessed today. They will be blessed from above because we're studying your word and we're going to receive. There's a spiritual transaction that takes place in our hearts when we worship you and when we study your word. You're building our life. You're building our faith. You're building character. And we love you and praise you. In the mighty name of the Lord Jesus. If you agree with that prayer, say amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Well, guys, I got great news. We're starting a new book this morning. We are starting a new book. We finished the book of Revelation, and now we're going to start our exposition through the gospel of Matthew. And I don't know about you, but I'm joyful and excited to be looking in the gospel of Matthew and studying it verse by verse. There's some wonderful truths in this book, and I cannot wait to get to the Sermon on the Mount that talks about the blessed life and the life of the fruit of the Spirit and, and, and living out a godly life. I'm super excited about that, but I don't want to jump too far ahead of myself. You know, this morning we are going to study uh, Matthew chapter 1, and you may be thinking, Pastor David, are you going to teach on the genealogy of Christ? I'm going to touch on it. I'm going to touch on it. It's inspired scripture. There's a purpose. There's a reason that the genealogy was put in there. That word genealogy, by the way, is, is the Greek word for genealogy is Genesis. And it's going to give us the, the godly lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, As we begin our journey through the beginning of the New Testament, I want to lay a foundation in your mind. I want to answer a big question that a, lot of, a, big question a lot of people have. Why do we have four Gospels? You know, why do we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Why couldn't God just inspire one Gospel account of the Lord Jesus Christ? Why do we have four? You know, um, that's the big question a lot of people ask. And to, to help you understand why we have four Gospels, go with me for a minute. Imagine there's a car accident at a major intersection here in Columbia. There are people standing on all four corners of the intersection. They all witness the same accident, but each person sees the car accident from a different angle. And it's the same with the four Gospels. All four Gospel authors, they witnessed the exact same earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, but each Gospel is showing it from a different angle. So the, the next question that should lead to in your mind is, okay, Pastor David, we have four different angles. What is the view from each angle of the four corners of the street? You know, not looking at a car accident, but looking at the earthly ministry of Jesus. Mark, the, the, uh, the second gospel, is the, the author there is the cousin of Barnabas. He wrote his gospel to Christians at Rome. Roman culture was all about 
being served and serving other people. Mark, the Gospel of Mark, emphasizes Jesus' actions and emphasizes his serving. Church history tells us that Mark recorded his gospel from the preaching of Peter at the church of Rome. Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That statement would have grabbed the attention of the Roman Christians because it was all about, in their day, it was all about serving Caesar. It was all about being served or serving others. So that was gospel's angle from his street corner looking at Jesus' earthly ministry. Luke was a physician and a historian. He wrote his gospel to the Greeks. The Greeks had a high and lofty view of man. Luke refers to Jesus in his gospel as the son of man, emphasizing, the gospel of Luke emphasizes the humanity of Christ, that he was a human being here on earth. Luke records that Jesus slept, Jesus prayed, and Jesus ate. And Luke emphasizes that Jesus was the only perfect man, God in the flesh, man, human being, to walk the face of the earth. That brings us to the gospel of John. John wrote his gospel to who? The whole world. He wrote his gospel to the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in shall not perish but have eternal life. John's gospel answers the biggest question that humanity has from Africa to Antarctica and all across this planet. And that that question is, who is God? Who is God? What is he like? John emphasizes that Jesus is Lord God. Jesus is God, and Jesus is creator of the universe. If you look at the opening of the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus told his disciples, If you've seen me, you've seen God. Okay? And by faith, through the pages of Scripture, we have a front row seat to the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus. So finally, that brings us to the book we're beginning today, Matthew. Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, is a, an amazing book that, and that's separate from the, that, that emphasizes a lot of things that the other Gospels don't emphasize. But Matthew was written to the Jews. And what Matthew does, he connects all the Old Testament messianic promises to their fulfillment in Jesus. Matthew uh, uses the phrase, it is written, nine times in this Gospel. He uses the phrase, that which was spoken 14 times in this gospel. In Matthew's gospel, there are 129 quotations or allusions to Old Testament prophecy pointing to the future Messiah. Matthew lays the firm foundation in this book we're fixing to study to the Jews that Jesus is their Messiah that was predicted by the prophets. When you fully understand the theme of each gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it will help you and make you appreciate the Lord Jesus that much more. Because when you look at all four, you zoom out and you look at all four, Jesus is the perfect servant, he's the perfect man, he's the perfect God, and he is the perfect Messiah fulfilling all Jewish 
prophecies. So the title of my message this morning for Matthew chapter 1 is this, Israel's king comes into our world. So it's here we are with a Christmas message, but we're not emphasizing Christmas. We're emphasizing the messianic king, the king of Israel, the one that was predicted by the prophets, his entry into time and space on our planet. So with that said, let's look at the genealogies for a moment. Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 says, the record of the genealogy of the of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, you need to, to fully grasp verse 1. You need to understand, when you want to grab people's attention, you got to say something that, that grabs their heart, that grabs their mind. Now, Matthew is speaking to a Jewish audience in the first century. And what does he do to grab their attention, to reel them in? He references there in verse 1, the son of David, the son of Abraham. In the Jewish mind, that would have grabbed their attention because they held Abraham and David in high esteem. Father Abraham, king of David, the, 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 the most glorious and grandest king of all of Israel. So when Matthew, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, what he's doing is he is grabbing their attention, saying, this dude I'm talking about, he is the son of David, the son of Abraham. And what does he say there? The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. Matthew begins his gospel with Jesus' genealogy. The Greek word for genealogy is Genesis. Uh, Matthew's genealogy connects Jesus back to Israel's godly patriarchs that were all pointing to their, to their, genera to their generation, to the future coming Messiah. And also notice there, the name Messiah, Jesus the Messiah. Jesus is called the Messiah. The Greek word for Messiah is Christos. It means the anointed one. In the Old Testament, the prophets and kings were called the anointed of the Lord. Now the one who anointed them was walking on planet earth. The one who anointed the kings, the one who sent his Holy Spirit, anointed the prophets. Now he is God in the flesh, the eternal God taking on flesh in a human body that we could touch, feel, experience, talk with, interact with. The humanity of Christ, he is there but he's also the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. So once he grabs their attention with referencing Abraham and David, look at, let's look at, read verses two through six. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amenadab, Amenadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab, Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by, by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. I find it interesting that Matthew points out in verse 6, he doesn't gloss over David's sin. He says, by the way, this is King David, and this is Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Now, verses 2 through 6 give us Jesus' earthly family line. But what you need to understand about these names listed is this is no all-star lineup. 
This is no all-star lineup, and these are not perfect people. I think I circled. Yes, I did. Look at those names that are circled up on the screen. Abraham. Uh, this, 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 by the way, this gives me hope. This, this, this gives me encouragement. Because I, I, I'm, the, I'm the wretch the song refers to, okay? I'm the one that's blown it a million times in this life. But thank you, Lord, for grace. But let's just talk about a couple of these guys. The first one circled is Abraham. Abraham lied twice, not once, but twice, about Sarah being his wife in fear of his life. Jacob, this next one, he deceived his father by covering himself in animal skin, pretending to be Esau, that little deceiver, that little conniver. Uh, Judah, Judah had sex with his daughter-in-law, Tamar, after she dressed uh, like a prostitute in deception. Uh, Rahab, Rahab was a career prostitute in Joshua. David committed adultery with Bathsheba. And if that wasn't bad enough, then he had her husband murdered. Okay? Ruth. We just got through studying the book of Ruth. What was Ruth? What was her background? Her background. She was a Moabite. She was a pagan Moabite. What does this tell us, family, about the grace of God? When you consider, I, I just touched on half of the names. You could go deeper. But this teaches us that God uses imperfect people. God does not care about your social status or your place in church leadership. That's not what he's looking at. He is looking at our hearts. God is not looking for perfect people. That doesn't exist. Perfect people do not exist. He is looking for hearts that are completely committed to him. Again, as I read the genealogies, and I see Jesus' lineage. Studying these individuals brings me hope. It brings me great hope to see the grace of God. A lot of these people did a lot of bad things, but in the end, they returned to the Lord. And, that, and, we, and we praise Him for that. Let's continue. Let's read verses 7 through 10, and I'll touch on one of these guys. Solomon, verse 7, Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asa, and Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah was the father of Jotham, and Jotham was the father of Ahaz, Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Ammon, and Ammon, the father of Josiah. Now, if you're ever studying or teaching the Bible, and you come across all these names, if you, here, I'm going to give you a little principle of, of Bible teaching here. If you ever get to come across one of these names and you're not sure how to pronounce it, just make it sound like you know what you're saying. <laughs> okay? Just make it, make it sound like you know what you're saying and the people will, will nod. <laughs> but sometimes we, don't, sometimes we have a difficult time uh, talking about these names. But you just sound like you know what you're saying and most of the time people will buy it. But, uh, but verse 10, the verse 10, the person I want to bring out to you is in verse 10, I circled his name up on the screen, is Manasseh. Now, how many of you guys ever studied Manasseh? Manasseh was Judah's most vile and wicked king, okay? And here he is listed in, 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 the, in, the, in the genealogy. Manasseh murdered people. He encouraged Israel to participate in Baal worship. Later in his life, after being taken captive into Babylon, 
Scripture records he repented and he returned to the Lord. But that's another interesting person in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ who didn't have it all together, but God used. The truth be told, every godly family, friends, has a stray sheep that goes in the wrong direction. It could be an alcoholic uncle. It could be a son or daughter deceived by the world. Most families try to hide their skeletons in the closet. Not Jesus. He published it right here for the whole world to see. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, his family line, if you study the characters, is littered with prostitutes, murderers, and con artists. That's the lineage of the people that God used to bring his son, the promised Messiah, into the world. I got an idea, just, just, just a suggestion I want to throw out there. Instead of damning our loved ones and friends who have gone astray, let's pray for them. Let's pray that God brings them back to himself, just like he did with Jesus' ancestry, just like he did with Abraham, with Jacob, with Judah, with Rahab, with David, and Ruth. Let's pray that God brings them back. You know, no Christian is perfect. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. You know, we're going to watch this movie, uh, The Jesus Music, in a couple weeks. And I'm going to tell everyone before we watch it, hey, we put no one on a pedestal. And everyone should be examined biblically. But there's some people throughout even the Christian industry have come out and said some things, have gone astray. In the Christian world, man, they just, boom, they drop the gavel on them. And I think what we need to do instead of dropping the gavel on them, is pray for them. Is pray fervently that the Lord turns their, their heart back to Him. That's called compassion. That's called love. That's called grace. That's what God's about, family. God's about grace. God's about taking sinners and, and, and individuals who've gone astray and lovingly, kindly, gracefully wooing them back to himself through witness, through church, through the, the Holy Spirit. He's about bringing people back, just like he did with these people in the Lord Jesus' genealogy. So let's pray for our loved ones, and let's pray for those who've fallen away or gone astray, that the Holy Spirit grabs our heart just like he did the guys and the ladies in the genealogies. Let's continue. Verse 11. Josiah became the father of Jeconiah and his brothers, and at the time of the deportation to Babylon, after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of Shethel, Shethel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel was the father of Abahud, Abahud the father of Elakim, Elakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Elihud, Elihud was the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Matham, and Matthew, the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who was called the Messiah. It's just very important to point out the way Matthew words verse 16. He does not say Joseph, the father of Jesus. He doesn't reference Jesus as the son of Joseph. But what does he say there? 
Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born. So it's important to see that because Matthew is laying the foundation to show us the virgin birth of Christ. Verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to to Babylon, to the Messiah, 14 generations. Again, I highlighted six or seven of the people in the genealogy, but what you need to understand is the genealogies of Jesus um, are more than just a list of ancestors. That Each one of them is, is a testimony of the grace of God directly connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in the Old Testament, they looked forward to Jesus and his earthly ministry. Today, in 2022, and at the time after Christ, we look back to the ministry of the Lord Jesus. So you see this wonderful, it's like the genealogies is like, just go with me for a minute, is like the Lord Jesus himself. He's got one hand on the saints of the Old Testament, and he's got his other hand on the saints of the New Testament. And he extends his grace and his mercy and his truth and his love to both. The Old Testament, he's the God of the Old Testament. He's the God of the New Testament. And again, they're testimonies of grace. Verse 18, let's get into the birth of Christ now. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now, here we are getting into one of the foundational teachings of Christianity. And verse 18 lays out the foundational truth that Jesus is, was born of a virgin. It was not sex between Joseph and Mary that brought Jesus into this world. It was the Holy Spirit who placed the Lord Jesus in, in, in the womb of Mary. Some people would ask, what's the big deal? You know, I've actually heard people say that. What's the big deal about the virgin birth? Why do you have to believe it? Is it that important? And the simple answer is, yes, it's very important. The virgin birth is everything. His birth, his miracles, his resurrection, they all go hand in hand. They're all evidence that Jesus is God from above. His entire earthly ministry was supernatural because he was not from this earth, but he was from heaven above. The key, if you, if you have a hard time wrapping your mind around the virgin birth, you know, remember who we're talking about. We're talking about God, okay? Sometimes it can be hard to wrap our finite minds around an infinite, eternal God. But we embrace and we believe and we hold to these truths that everything the Scripture says about the Lord Jesus. The key to understanding Jesus' virgin birth is understanding who He is, that He is God. After you understand this truth, that Jesus is deity— that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the eternal creator, everything else just falls into place. The, the, the miracles, the healing, his resurrection from the dead, it's like, okay, I got it now. 
He's eternal God. If you try to understand Jesus from just a, just a natural standpoint, from just a human scientific standpoint, good luck. Because you're not going to. You've got to understand he's from heaven. He is divine. He is the eternal creator that stepped out of eternity and stepped into time. Everything about Jesus is supernatural. Okay? Understand that. Understand he is God. And that will help your minds and your hearts understand his ministry, his miracles, his healings, and everything he did. You're like, yeah, he's God. God can do whatever he wants. The Lord Jesus Christ could speak, and the universe just comes into existence. The Lord Jesus Christ can speak, and people are healed. The Lord Jesus Christ speaks, and people rise from the grave. That's the supernatural ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's continue, verse 19. And it says, And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Can I just say I love these verses? Because you just see intimacy. You see emotion. You see heart. You see the rawness uh, of these human beings in their reaction, specifically here with Joseph. Joseph is in shock when we get to verse 19. Joseph's in shock. He's thinking to himself, wait a minute. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. She's pregnant, and I know something didn't happen. And that's the way women normally get pregnant. He did not know what to make of the situation. He didn't understand it. He couldn't wrap his natural mind around it as I was talking a while ago. He was thinking in the natural realm. He wasn't thinking in the supernatural realm. But even in his confusion, even in his doubt, even not understanding what to do, he loved Mary. He loved his precious Mary. And he did not want to put her to shame. He didn't want to put her to shame. Go with me for a minute. Put yourself, you put yourself in his place. Imagine a young lady in our youth group telling you, I'm pregnant. And what are you going to ask this young youth? Well, who's the father? And she looks at you and says, the Holy Spirit. You would look at her like she's crazy. You would be in the same state of mind that Joseph was in. Joseph was confused, Joseph was hurt, and Joseph was angry. It would take a miracle to change Joseph's heart. As I said a while ago, not understanding the supernatural about Jesus is because people are in their natural mind. Joseph is in his natural mind right now, and God's got to bring him into the supernatural and let him see the big divine uh, picture, but he's going to change his heart. Look at verse 20. He says, but when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now, the text does not say it here, but I believe Joseph is such an emotional mess that God 
has to put him to sleep. Poor Joseph. He probably cries himself to sleep that night, not knowing what to think. But God, in his faithfulness, comes through in a vision to Joseph in his dream, reassuring him that this child Mary is carrying is from heaven above. What God did was he took Joseph from the natural state of mind, trying to figure things out with human reasoning and human understanding, to seeing things supernaturally as God was doing them. Paul said in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, see to it. In other words, make sure this takes place in your faith, in your walk with the Lord. He says, Colossians 2, 8, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies which depend on human tradition and human reasoning rather than on Christ. Family, we got to put our spiritual eyes on. We got to put our spiritual eyes on in this world, okay? We got to see things through a biblical world view. We got to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes, to open our mind, and see the world as God sees the world. And when you see the world as God sees the world, it clarifies everything. You, you, you understand. You have peace of mind. You have peace in your heart. You're, you're, you're not shaken by what's going on in the world. But you know God. You know the Creator. You know the one who made the sun, moon, and stars. You know the one who gave us that beautiful canvas of a blue sky during the day. You know the Creator of the universe. And it gives you peace. It gives you peace like nobody's business. And that's what God is doing in, in, in Joseph's heart and mind when Jesus was born. I'm, and I'm really thankful for this passage too because he didn't understand it. You, do, you, do you understand that? So many people today have a hard time wrapping their mind around the virgin birth. Well, guess what? Welcome to the club. And you weren't the first. Joseph was the very first. But God helped him understand the supernatural when we take things to the Lord. Let's continue. We are, we are in verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sin. Oh, I love this. It couldn't be laid out any better. Matthew, just under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, just does a masterful job of laying out the text. Matthew's gospel wastes no time at all in letting us know what Jesus his mission was in coming to planet earth. He did not come here to improve our self-esteem or to even make our life successful. His mission, his primary mission when he came to this earth was the cross. His primary mission, he came to be the sacrifice for our sins. You look at the end of verse 21. What does it say? For he will save his people from their sins. There is a penalty for sin. Death, damnation, eternal separation from God. But Jesus, in his grace and love and mercy, he came to die as the substitutionary atonement. He came to make a way for sinful man to be made right with God. He came to save his people from our sins. You know, when I received Christ Jesus as my Lord and Savior in 1992, whatever day or season that you came to Christ in your life, 
Do you understand the gospel? That not only did he forgive you of all your past sins, he forgave you of all your present sin, and he also forgave you of all your future sin. He came to save his people from their sins. He came to forgive us of all of our sin. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And I believe, I'm very thankful that, that through the process of discipleship, and, and a, when I first came to Christ in 1992, I, I wasn't completely, I brought some baggage. I brought some sin into my walk with Christ that I had a difficult time, that I struggled with, that I battled against. But through discipleship, through accountability, through fellowship, uh, God set me free from the things I, that once held me in bondage. And he will do the same for you. He does the same for all of us as we pursue him. At salvation, again, you're forgiven of all sin, past, present, and future. Everything, the slate is wiped clean, Okay. But remember this, those things that we struggle with, the sin that we struggle with, God has this program, it's called grace. And that grace doesn't give you a license to continue in sin, but that grace is a pathway out of sin. It's, it's walking hand in hand with the Lord and serving Him and finding liberty and finding freedom from the things that once uh, held us in bondage. He will save his people from their sin. Look at verse 22. This is the first of 129 times that Matthew will do this. But look at, let's look at 22 and 23. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which, is transla which translated means God with us. Now, Matthew is going to quote a lot of Old Testament. And so, again, when we read these Old Testament verses, let it take your mind back to the first century, back to the audience he's writing to. Matthew is writing to Jews, okay? And this is the first of 129 times in the Gospel of Matthew that he points back to the Old Testament. And here, uh, Matthew points out to his Jewish audience, this is the child predicted by Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And what does it say about Jesus that the, 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 the prophet Isaiah said 700 years before? Two things. One, he will be born of a virgin and he will be God with us. You know, us after the fact, knowing the New Testament, we know who this is. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. He was born of a virgin and he is God with us. And when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, remember this, God is with you. God is dwelling on the inside of you, okay? And the New Testament also says that um, he will never leave you nor forsake you. He will be there with you in the hard times, in the good times, in the, in the sad times, in the rejoicing times, he will be with you always. The Lord Jesus Christ living inside of you by his Holy Spirit is God with you. He is Emmanuel, God with us. 
Verse 24. Verse 24. We've got two more verses here. Verse 24 says, And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. I, I love this phrase here in Matthew 24. It says, The Lord commanded him. Do you see that? It says, it says, as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Family, verse 24, this is true obedience and this is true faith. The Lord commanded Joseph and he obeyed. He obeyed. He, he didn't go back and say, okay, let, 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 me, let me go ask for confirmation. Or he, he didn't go back and say, okay, Lord, I, I've heard this, but I need a sign from heaven. You know, uh, Joseph didn't go... Um, Say, let me ask my pastor. There was no need to pray. The Lord had spoken. And Joseph, verse 24, Joseph responds in firm obedience and faith. Okay? This is a beautiful example in verse 24 of the, of the, the believer's humble obedience in following the Lord. Remember, in the beginning, he didn't understand. He was confused. He was in doubt. God didn't smash him. God didn't obliterate him and remove him from the picture. He put him into a dream. The Spirit ministered to him, opened his heart, opened his mind. He saw the big picture. God brought him in line like he does with us. And, and then he obeys him. He obeys him. Joseph awoke. The, these statements in here are imperative. They're like, they're stating he did this. It's like there was no doubt. There was no, well, maybe I will. I think I can. I might. It was he awoke from his sleep. He took Mary as his wife after the angel of the Lord commanded him. God, friends and family, the application to verse 24, God has spoken to you and me through the Bible. He has spoken to you and me through the word. Do we give God the same response that Joseph did? Or do we wallow in doubt, unbelief, skepticism? God is looking for people that will hear his word and respond just like Joseph. Just like Joseph. God is looking for believers who will listen to the voice of his Holy Spirit and listen to the written word of God and be like Mary, be it unto me according to your word. Give me a heart that's completely devoted and committed to you. This is the heart of Christianity. And, and this can be tough because this takes action. This takes discipline. This takes commitment. Not to Pastor David, not to Calvary Chapel Irmo, but between you and the Lord, between you and in God. And the key to getting your heart to a place, getting your heart to that place, because it's not always easy, is just simply understanding the cross, understanding what Jesus went through for our salvation to bring us back to Him. And when we understand the cross, we understand what He went through, it should melt our hearts. And man, we're like, Lord Jesus, you went to the cross for me. You could have left me in my sin. 
I could be perishing and going to hell. I could be under your wrath and judgment. But Jesus, you went to the cross for me because of your great love, because of your great mercy, because of your great kindness. Lord Jesus, you've been so good to me. I want to live my life for you and help give me an obedient heart. You know, I love, again, I can't emphasize this enough, with the genealogies of the people we looked at and with Joseph. Please, family, see the grace of God this morning in the genealogies of Jesus and in Joseph. And just because you're sitting here this morning and you don't have it all together, you know, and if you don't have it all together, welcome to the club. But understand this, God will show you grace as you call upon him and ask him to help you understand these things. But once you understand them, respond like Joseph and say, yes, Lord, I will. I will follow you and I will obey your commands. Let's look at our final verse this morning, verse 25. Verse 25 says, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Now, there are some movements that teach Mary is a perpetual virgin, but in the Bible, there is no warrant at all, nowhere in all of Scripture that suggests Mary was a perpetual virgin. After their marriage and Jesus' birth, Joseph and Mary had a normal marriage with children. And we look at that open of 25, that phrase from kept to son, kept her a virgin. How long? Until she gave birth to a son. So after Jesus was born, after the marriage, the, the, the gospels tell us they had children. They had family. You know, um, Mary was just like you and me. She was just like you and me. She said in her Magnificat, she says, I rejoice in God my Savior. Even in the Gospel of Luke, Mary uh, confesses and proclaims that I am a sinner saved by grace. Um, the name Jesus, I want to close with this, the very end of verse 25, and they shall call his name Jesus. The name Jesus, it means this, Jehovah is salvation. Do we understand what his name brings into our life. You know, a lot of times studying scriptures, everything can become like wallpaper because we've heard it so many times. But please, friends and family, let this sink in. What is in the name of Jesus? Matthew chapter 12, verse 21 says, in his name, the Gentiles will hope. It says, in his name, the Gentiles will hope. The name of Jesus, it brings hope. It brings hope. It brings hope for eternity, and it also brings hope for this life. If a person's life is going in the wrong direction through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he gives them hope for eternity and this life to get their life going in the right direction. Jesus' name brings hope. Mark 16, 17 Jesus said this, These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. In the name of Jesus, deliverance comes. 
to, to Christians, to believers, to the world. Those who come my, in my name, they will cast out demons. Demons and Satan, they hate the name of Jesus because there's power in the name of Jesus to deliver people, to set people free from darkness and from the bondage of this world. The name of Jesus is the name that sets the captive free. So there's deliverance in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. I'm pulling up verses that talk about his name based on verse 25. Acts 4, 12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And he says there in Acts 4, 12, there is no other name. And Acts 4, 12 teaches us this, that his name brings salvation. His name brings salvation. Romans 10, 13 says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord. 10, Romans 10, 30, whoever calls upon the name. You have to call upon his name, okay? You, you have to say, Lord Jesus, I believe in your name. I call upon your name. When you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus with a humble heart, heaven opens up and hears when you call upon his name. My question in closing for the audience here and the audience online is this. Do you know his name? Do you understand the power in the name of Jesus? At the name of Jesus, at the name, Philippians says, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? It's simply this. You know the name of Jesus. You know the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends and family, Christians, be encouraged. Know him. Know his name. Proclaim his name. Witness in his name. Walk in his name. Live in his name. And serve the name that is above all names, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if there's anyone who's not a believer, you need to call upon the name. Call upon the name that's above all names, the Lord Jesus Christ. Not in a flippant uh, way or, or a religious way, but in a, in a heartfelt way. Lord Jesus, I need you. Lord Jesus, please help me. Please come into my life. Please help me to turn from the old ways and help me turn to you. There's power in the name of Jesus. And thus you have it. Matthew's going to waste no time. As we get into Matthew chapter 2 next week, Matthew's just going to, he's going to rapid fire back to the Old Testament, Old Testament, Old Testament. Remember, as we study this book, friends, keep in mind the prophecies of the Old Testament. This book was written to point Israel to their prophesied Messiah from, that was written about in the Old Testament. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for Matthew chapter 1. God, I pray that you'll help each of us love your name, 
appreciate your name, esteem your name, and call upon your name. And Lord, if there be anyone that doesn't know you, I pray that they'll remember one thing from this message, and that is to call upon your name. Lord Jesus, we love you. We praise you, and we thank you for your name. And thank you, Lord, that you came into this world to show us your love, to show us your grace, to give us peace, to show us mercy, and to show us how much you love us. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your word. Seal it in our hearts. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. Thank you.